Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We've chosen for our theme this week, Beyond Their Power. And this evening I want to take us to the passage of Scripture where we find that phrase. I want to give some context tonight behind this, some background, some understanding of the passage. And we'll look at that passage in a little bit more in detail to take our... Th- our, our primary theme or message for tonight, but I don't want to lose in that the simplicity and the significance of just that simple thought of beyond their power. Uh, if that was just all we got, we would learn a lot from that theme throughout this week, beyond their power. It's a phrase that leads us to the recognition that there is a greater source of power than you and I could ever muster up in ourselves. It's a greater source of ability than you and I could ever attain in ourselves. And get this, in a Faith Promise Missions Conference, beyond their power, it lets us know that there's a greater faith we can attain when we will let God work in our lives. There's something I've learned in my years of ministry and, in, and of being a Christian is this, that God relishes of getting much out of something little, out of something that seems small and insignificant. Think of some of these familiar passages or stories in our Bible where God takes a young man with a small sling to take out a great giant. Or think about a a widow woman that was just has a little bit of uh, supplies left for one meal, and yet God does a great miracle and provides for this great need. In our New Testament, a lad with five loaves and two fishes, and God uses that to feed a great crowd. Of course, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 27 through 29, which says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world uh, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. God loves to take the little and do much with it. I love that old hymn, Little is Much, when God is in it. And we know that God is in this and beyond our power. Let us remember that, that God is working through, uh, through individuals to accomplish great things. And in our passage of Scripture here, we see this. And so let's read the first 15 verses of this chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Follow along as I read these first 15 verses. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and there it is, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves Praying, with, uh, uh, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave of their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, 
and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now therefore perform the doing of it, that there was a readiness to will, so that there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that man to, to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that others men be eased, and ye be burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. As it is written, he that hath gathered much had nothing over, and he that hath gathered little had no lack. So this phrase, beyond their power, is from this passage of Scripture where God is, excuse me, Paul is communicating to the church at Corinth in his second letter to them about a group of churches in Macedonia and how God worked through them. Now, God is, uh, Paul is highlighting this church, these churches of Macedonia, but we understand that it also required some obedience, some faith, submission, uh, a trust on their parts to allow God to work through them. But again, this is God working through these churches of Macedonia. And it's my prayer that God will work in our heart and each of us that we can truly say beyond our power. Now in a week of missions conference, we're going to talk about giving. That'll be a main topic. And there may be a thought in here that I can't give anymore. Not in this climate, not in this time, not in the difficult days that we live in. And I want to remind you that there is a God that says you can give beyond your power. Beyond what you normally could. Beyond what you normally think you could if you'll trust God who wants to work through you. For some, we would pray that God would work in your heart about a greater burden for missions. We've been praying that perhaps God would touch somebody's heart here this week about jumping into missions, getting involved in missions. And you might say, I could never do that. I could never go and do what these individuals are doing here. And I want you to remember there is a surrendering to this power that's beyond what you and I could ever think that we could do. So we're not highlighting so much the churches of Macedonia as much as we're highlighting the God that wants to do beyond what we ever think he could do in our lives. So Paul specifically trying to raise a special offering here. Uh, he has been trying to raise a collection for some struggling saints back over in Judea, in Jerusalem. They've fallen under persecution and difficulties. 
You can read about that in Acts chapter number 8, verse number 1, where uh, the, the, it says about the believers in Jerusalem were scattered abroad because of the persecution. He names several regions that they're scattered to. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 26, Paul talks about this special collection, this offering that he is trying to raise up to meet the needs of these persecuted believers. And he's reached out to various churches, the churches of Macedonia. We hear about Macedonia, first of all, in Acts chapter number 16. Paul had the Macedonia call, and he went across into Macedonia, and we learn about him first going into the region of Philippi in Acts chapter 16. It's where we get the book of Philippians. Uh, Paul had a great ministry there. Saw individuals saved. Saw a church begun there. Had a great ministry in Philippi. In Acts chapter 17, we're introduced in that same region to the, to the region of Thessalonica. Two letters in our Bible, two books in our Bible, First and Second Thessalonians. And we learn about them in Acts chapter 17. And then also in Acts chapter 17, also in that region is the area of Berea place where they searched the scriptures. The people were known that they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. They were people that were Bible students. And again, we learn of them in Acts chapter 17. So Paul has reached out to these various churches, including in another region, the church at Corinth. And 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 apparently is a gentle reminder from Paul to these people, hey, you told us last year you were going to give an offering. And he's reminding them we've not received it. Uh, it's almost like one of those calls. I want to remind you about your car insurance or I want to remind you about these things. You, he's writing them this gentle reminder. You said you were going to participate in this and we've not received it. And so Paul's going to appeal to them in four different ways. First of all, he's going to use the churches of Macedonia and their generosity to try to motivate the church at Corinth. We'll see that in the first uh, six verses of our passage this evening. Uh, then he's going to use the church at Corinth's own spiritual graces or spiritual gifts. Look at verse number seven with me again. It says, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance, that's just an ability to speak or perhaps even the ability to speak other languages. So in faith and utterance and knowledge and all diligence and in your love to us, Paul says you abound in these areas and these graces. He says, see that you abound in this grace also. Hey, guys at Corinth, you're doing good in faith and you're speaking in your love, in your diligence, in your knowledge. You're doing great there. We also want to remind you, you need to do good in the grace of giving. Listen, you've done well in these areas. Don't forget about this grace of giving. So Paul uses the generosity of the churches of Macedonia, but he also says God's been good to you all. God's blessed you in these areas, and you're thriving in these areas, but don't forget about this area of giving. That could be convicting, couldn't it? That could, that could remind us of our own selves there, of how God has blessed many of us in many ways. But don't forget about this important aspect of giving in a sacrificial offering. In verse number 9, 
Paul uses the ultimate example. Look at verse number 9. He says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Uh, Paul uses the example, listen, if Jesus Christ was willing to leave everything in heaven and come and be that perfect sacrifice for us, he was rich, yet he became poor for us. If Jesus was willing to do that, then you all ought to be, the church of Corinth ought to be willing to participate in this offering. What a great example that would be for all of us. How many of you tonight would just say, God's been good to you, hasn't he? God's blessed you. God has uh, saved your soul and he's redeemed you. And, and that ought to be a great motivator in our life. I read this illustration about a man named George Truitt. He pastored the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas from 1897 to 1944. He was an old-time fundamentalist. And George Truitt... Uh, would go around in all the area of Texas and that southwest part of the country, and he would preach all over. And he was in a small church in Texas, in a country town, preaching a special meeting for them as they were trying to raise some money for a, uh, for a, uh, a building fund for their church. And at the conclusion of the service and the conclusion of that meeting, they were about $3,500 short of their goal. Instead of just going home and saying, hey, we got half of it or the most of it, he says, church, we still need $3,500. Wouldn't that be something if we counted the offering tonight and came back, guys, we need another $1,000 this evening. And that's basically what he did. He said, we're going to keep going here. And he's trying to motivate the people. We can do this. We can raise this money. This church needs to raise this money this evening. And after a little bit of time, a lady stood up in the back of the building and her husband would happen to be on the platform as he was helping count the money and the, and the proceeds. And she stood up in the back and she said, we just sold our house and we've made $3,500. And she looked up at her husband and she said, honey, Jesus has done so much for us. Jesus has accomplished so much in our life. Shouldn't we be willing to... To give this money this evening, if that's what it takes to raise this additional 3500 Talk about getting put on the spot. You know, here he is on the platform, and, and he was weeping, and he agreed with her. Well, what this did, though, is it motivated the rest of the church. And they realized that if this family was willing to step up, and someone said, well, I'll give 100 and I'll give 50. And another person said, I'll give 200. And before it was all said and done, they raised almost all of that 3,500 that was lacking. And this family was able to also participate in without giving it all. But it was all from the motivation of what Jesus Christ had done for them. And so when we consider our giving this evening, it certainly would be, maybe we could be motivated by the churches of Macedonia. Maybe we could be motivated by how God has blessed us, our lives personally. But don't forget what Jesus Christ did for you. Jesus left a perfect world, a perfect heaven, and came to a sin-cursed world. He lived a perfect sinless life, and then he became sin for us. That we which were sinners, could become the righteousness of God in him. What a sacrifice Jesus made, and that ought to be a motivator for us. And then finally, Paul 
just gives some practical advice himself. Look at verse number 10. And here and I give my advice, for this is expedient or important for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. He says, you guys said you would do this a year ago. He says, so I'm telling you, I just believe it's important. He says in verse 11, now therefore perform the doing of it. Do it, guys. You said you were going to do this. Hold to this. And Paul gives this practical advice. And so these four thoughts, the churches of Macedonia and their generosity, the church of Corinth and their own spiritual gifts, the Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate example, and then the practical advice from Paul. But as we get back to the first part of this, let me share with you this evening just three thoughts about these churches of Macedonia. Notice again with me in verse number one, Moreover, brethren, we do wit, excuse me, we do you to wit of the grace of God. That's an old English way of saying we want you to know about the grace of God. We want you to understand about the grace of God. That word grace is used continually in this passage and throughout this book. Some have therefore titled this type of giving of grace giving. Giving because of the grace of God. And so these things we're going to highlight this evening about the church, churches of Macedonia, it's only because of the grace of God. Yeah. Only because of the goodness of God. Yeah. We don't want to highlight the churches so much as we want to highlight the God that enabled them to do this. And so because of the grace of God, notice that they were able to give with abundant joy, even or in spite of the adversities they were in. Verse 2. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Because of the grace of God, they gave with abundant joy in spite of adversity. Paul mentions a great trial of affliction without any detail what that trial was what the difficulty they were facing. Paul mentions their deep poverty. This is a poor church. These are people that are lacking funds in any way. And yet in the same breath, in the same pen stroke, he mentions joy and he mentions the riches of their liberality. The riches of their liberality. He's not calling them rich in money. He's calling them rich in, rich in their liberality. So what this phrase means is it has the meaning of being rich or abundant in liberality. The sense is that their liberality or generosity was much greater than could be expected from a person so poor. They were shocked at how giving they were. When the offering was handed over to Paul, he was, wow, that's the riches of your liberality. That's far more generous than I could ever consider. Now, by the way, this is an important thing for us to consider when it comes to giving. God does not look at the size of the gift as much as he looks at the proportion of the gift. Did you get that, church? See, that's what makes God's plan of giving so good. Because it's based on proportion, not the amount. God can take little and do much with it. You think God needs our million bucks? 
God can do whatever he wants. God could take a hundred dollars and accomplish far more than we could ever with a million dollars. God's able to take the little, the, the insignificant, the small, and do great things with it. But God is pleased with proportionate giving. You remember in Mark chapter number 12, Jesus and his disciples are standing near the temple and they're watching people give their offerings there in Mark chapter 12. And it says there in Mark 12, verses 41 to 44, it says there that many rich people came by and were putting their offering in. And then here comes a little poor widow woman. You remember her? How much did she put in? Two mites. Now, we don't even have a, 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 a denomination or a, 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 a material number that would, come, that would really match the mite. I mean, the closest we would have is a penny, but it's less than a penny. A mite is just a small fraction of, of their material things, and that's all she had, and she gave all two mites there. Less than a farthing, less than a nickel in our world, in our kind of thinking there. And Jesus asked his disciples, well, who's given the most here? In their mind, may have been to the guy that just put a $100 bill in or, or $500 or $1,000. And Jesus says, no. These people gave out of their excess, but this woman gave all that she had. See, God looks at the proportion of the gift. And so these people there in Macedonia, they're giving in their, uh, in their deep poverty and their great affliction, and they are a generous people. Now, Paul used the example of adversity of the churches of Macedonia, I believe, to inspire and motivate and convict the church at Corinth to give. Here's this church that's going through great difficulties, church at Corinth. Why don't you give? But we're living in a time where I believe adversity is becoming more and more the norm in our world. Especially for a Christian. Especially for a Christian who's going to true, choose to live through the, by the word of God. I believe adversity is something that we're going to become accustomed to. Difficulties, trials, heartaches, financial burdens. They seem to be getting more frequent and more worse. And yet the grace of God enables us to keep giving. See, I'm not going to get up here tonight and say, you know what, church? We're headed for a rough year. Why don't you just pull back a little bit of that giving? Nope. Keep giving. Keep digging. Keep trusting. Keep believing in the grace of God to sustain you and to provide for you. We love the verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But you know who that was written to? Churches of Macedonia. Involved in sacrificial giving. Involved in a sacrificial offering. Don't claim that if you're not a sacrificial giver. God wants us to keep giving. God wants us to keep trusting. Even in this climate that is difficult for us. This is a great opportunity for us today, not just to speak it, but to live it. Here it comes. We're going to maybe for some difficult days. Trust God with his finances that he's entrusted you into your hands. Be a faithful giver. Listen, I'm going to tell you about an amount. What God lays on your heart, trust him with that. Believe him. Believe him and be a good, godly giver. So because of the grace of God, they gave with abundant joy. 
in spite of the adversity around them. Back to our text, notice because of the grace of God, they gave voluntarily. Look at verse 3 and 4. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. They gave voluntarily. Again, the churches of Macedonia gave voluntarily. The terminology here describes one that is pleading or begging with Paul and his team, take our offering. Here it is. We want you to receive this. Paul is not pleading with the churches of Macedonia to participate. It appears that he's reasoning with them. And it appears they're not willing to reason back with him. They want him to take their money. The equivalent would be here at Heritage. We hear about a need, and uh, we are challenged to give to that need, and perhaps we don't respond very well. We have the resources, we have the people, we have uh, the ability, but we don't respond well. And then let's pick a church maybe down in Haiti, one of the poorest nations in all the world, and a little struggling church outside of Port-au-Prince, just a handful of people. And they're getting together just a small amount of money, but to them it is a huge difference. And they're begging the person, take this money. Take this. We want you to have it. This is what was happening at Macedonia. They're struggling in in adversity. They're struggling in poverty. And yet they're saying, take this offering from us. They gave voluntarily. And what an opportunity for us, church, for us to just step up to the plate, for us to say, you know what? We've got an opportunity to give, to participate in God's plan of of getting the missions around this world, and let's step up and let's volunteer, all because of the grace of God. So because of God's grace, they gave with abundant joy in spite of adversity. Because of the grace of God, they gave voluntarily. And then number three, because of the grace of God, they gave of themselves first. Look at verse number five. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave of their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. This really is the secret or the key to their giving. This is why they could give in spite of their adversity, in spite of their poverty. This is why they would volunteer. See, the church at Macedonia had already given themselves, and therefore the financial part was easy. They they had already surrendered themselves to God and therefore the giving of their finances was not a problem at all. I've been in the ministry for 28 years. I've been going to missions conferences for all my life, born and raised in the church. You know who some of the most generous givers I've ever met are? Missionaries. Missionaries that have given themselves to the ministry. I've had missionaries at missions conference for years, many times, come to me and say, brother, would you just give our love offering to that other family? I said, what do you mean? God just laid it in my heart. Would you give that? Would you give what what you were going to give to us? Just give it to them. Don't even tell them. Just, Just give them that extra money. You know why it's easy for them to do that and why they can obey God? Because they've given them of themselves already. 
They've said, God, my life is yours. I'm willing to go to Mexico. I'm willing to go to Iceland. I'm willing to go to the military missions. I'm willing to go to these various parts of the world. I'm willing, God, I'm willing to go. And therefore, they're able to trust God with their finances. It's not because they're rich. It's not because they don't have needs. It's because they've given of themselves. That's the key to serving God, church. Trust him with your life. By the way, can someone in here tonight ever say God's ever failed you? Nope. God has never failed any person here. Now, we may not always understand everything God's doing in our lives, but God has never failed us. You can trust him, church. You can believe him for, for what he wants to do in your life. So if you're here this evening, God may even be working in your heart and your life about missions or about an area of ministry. Trust him. Give of yourself. Say, God, I'm yours. I'll do what you want me to do. When we do that, the financial part will not be a difficult thing at all. And So this evening, as we consider the grace of God, With God's grace, they gave with abundant joy. They gave voluntarily. They gave of themselves first, and the finances were easy to follow up on that. I want to share with you in closing a story. I'm assuming it's true. It's written by a lady. It describes her family in an Easter of 1946. And it's called The Rich Family in Church. Let me read this for you. It's, it's front and back. It might take me five minutes here, but listen to this story. She says, I was 14, my little sister Osi was 12, and my older sister Darlene was 16. We lived at home with our mother, and the four of us knew what it was to do without many things. My dad had died five years earlier, leaving my mom with seven, seven kids to raise and not much money. By 1946, my older sisters were married and my brothers had left home. It was a month before Easter and at our little church, the pastor had announced that the church would be receiving a special Easter offering this year, which would be taken up to help a poor family in the community. And he asked everyone to save and give sacrificially. When we got home, we talked about what our little family could do. We decided that we would buy 50 pounds of potatoes, and that's what we would live on over the next month. This would allow us to save about $20 of our grocery money for this offering. We thought of ways and things we could do. We decided to cut back on our electric use, turn the lights out in the evening, didn't listen to the radio in the evening, hoping that we would save on that month's electric bill. Darlene got as many house and yard cleaning jobs as possible, and both of us babysat for everyone we could. For 15 cents, we could buy enough cotton loops to make three potholders to sell for $1. And in that month, we made $20 on potholders. That was one of the best months of our lives. Every day, we counted the money to see how much we had saved At night, we'd sit in the dark and talk about how the poor family was going to enjoy having the money that the church was going to give them. We had about 80 people in the church, so we figured that whatever amount of money we had to give, the offering would surely be 20 times that much. After all, every Sunday, the pastor had reminded everyone to save for this sacrificial offering. The day before Easter, my sister and I walked to the grocery store, 
and got the manager to give us three crisp $20 bills and one crisp $10 bill for all of our change. We ran all the way home to show Mom and Darlene we had never had so much money before. That night, we were so excited we could hardly sleep. We didn't care that we wouldn't have new clothes for Easter. We had $70 for this sacrificial offering. We could hardly wait to get to church. On Sunday morning, the rain was pouring. We didn't own an umbrella nor a car, and the church was over a mile from our house. It did not matter to us. We walked the whole way singing, soaking wet. We arrived at church proudly. When the sacrificial offering was taken, we were sitting on the second row from the front. Mom put in the $10 bill, and each of the kids put in a $20 bill. As we walk, uh, see here. As we walked home after church, we sang all the way. At lunch, Mom had a surprise for us. She was able to buy a dozen eggs, and we had hard-boiled Easter eggs with our fried potatoes that afternoon. Later in the afternoon, the minister drove up in his car. Mom went to the door, talked with him for a moment, and then came back with an envelope in her hand. We asked what it was, but she didn't say a word. She opened the envelope, and out fell a bunch of money. There were three crisp $20 bills, one $10 bill, and 17 crinkled $1 bills. Mom put the money back in the envelope. We didn't talk, just sat and stared at the floor. We had gone home feeling like millionaires to feeling like the poor family. That Easter day, we found out we were the poor family. I looked at my old dress and my worn-out shoes and felt so ashamed. I didn't even want to go back to church. Everyone there probably already knew that I was poor. We sat in silence for a long time. Then it got dark and we went to bed. All that week, we, went to, uh, we girls went to school and came home, and no one talked much. Finally, on Saturday, Mom asked us what we wanted to do with the money. We didn't know. We'd never known we were poor. We didn't want to go to church on Sunday, but Mom said we had to. And when they arrived, they found that there was a missionary speaker on that Sunday. He talked about how churches in Africa had made, uh, made buildings out of sun-dried blocks, but they needed money to buy roofs. He said $100 would put a roof on the church. The minister said, can't we all sacrifice to help these poor people? And then it dawned on us. We looked at each other and we smiled and for, for the first time in a week. Mom reached into her purse and pulled out the envelope. She passed it to Darlene. Darlene gave it to me and I handed it to my sister Osi. And Osi put it in the offering. When the offering was counted the minister announced that it was a little over $100. The missionary was excited. He hadn't expected such a large offering from a small church. He said, you must have some rich people in this church. And suddenly it struck us. We had given $87 of that little over $100 offering. We were the rich family in that church. And so church... God's blessed us. God has blessed you. And with the grace of God, we can give with abundant joy. We can give voluntarily. We can give ourselves first. 
We are in the last of the last days. We're in the fourth quarter. We're in probably a two-minute warning time of the fourth quarter. It's getting close. We may not have another missions conference where we can give at. This may be it. And so let's do all that we can do by the grace of God. Don't let our circumstances and our situations cause fear and reservations. Let's live by faith. Let's let this faith promise conference be the greatest conference of your life and trust God with what he wants you to do. And let's give and let's trust the Lord in these last of the last days. Heads bowed, eyes closed this evening. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Jan is going to come and play a verse of invitation. And I want to encourage you just this evening, if the Lord's working in your heart, certainly the altar is available to you. But perhaps just there at your pew tonight will be a time for you Say, God, what would you have me to do this year? What would you like me to be a part of this year? And you would ask God to not let circumstances and situations dictate what you'll do, but you'll listen to God. Remember, we may not all be rich people in here this evening, but through Jesus Christ and by the grace of God, you can do what he's called you to do. Father, I pray that you take this invitation, Lord, these few moments, Lord, as we get this, this evening of missions conference begun, beyond their power, Lord, would we learn to let you work in us and do beyond what we could ever do ourselves. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to be obedient during this time. In Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed as the piano begins to play. If the Lord spoke to your heart, there at your pew or here at this altar, let's talk to the Lord this evening about this area of missions, faith, promise, giving, your own surrender of your life. Be obedient to the Lord tonight.